Hey, yo, what's going on? Stugats and all that. Gabagoob. <laughs> I, you know, on TikTok, they have that thing. It's like, woke up this morning. I got some gabagoo. Then I went to the fridge and I got some gabagoo. It's pretty great. Um, welcome to tonight's show. This is actually round two. We tried doing this the other night, and uh, there was a lot of difficulty, and it had to do with the fact that there's something wrong, once again, with my system. I don't know. It's the Wi-Fi, and I'm pretty pissed about it because, you know, I mean, uh, I, I pay for Wi-Fi, and I'm sorry, I pay for internet. I expect the internet to work when, when you pay for it. When you're paying for something, you expect it to work. Whatever. It's neither here nor there. Um, the Wi-Fi seems to be doing the trick for now. So as long as the Wi-Fi does the trick, we'll 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 go for it. We'll go. So hopefully this works. Um, I have, you know, I don't know. I, I was watching Succession on HBO, which prestige HBO series. And I was like, man, you know what I need to dive into next? I need to watch The Sopranos because I have not seen The Sopranos. I binged five seasons of The Sopranos, I want to say in 2006 right before the sixth season, the sixth and final season, which I think was split into two different parts, right before that um, that started, I wanted to catch up. And it was good. You know, that's the best thing about, like, not being into something. Like, you, you bank it, you save it up, and then you get to binge it. And that is an incredible experience. Like, you know, watching Breaking Bad in real time versus, like, inhaling... 62 episodes of Walter White going from science teacher to Scarface is so rewarding the second time around. And so now I'm rewatching The Sopranos and um, I'm seeing it in a whole new light. You know, last time I watched The Sopranos, it was in my early, early 20s. And now I'm watching The Sopranos, you know, pushing 40. And the show just hits in a completely different way. I'm currently in season two. We're just going to talk about season one tonight. And like I said, this is just like, sort of like a reassessment, re revisiting, you know, I don't want to call it a review per se, but just sort of my observations upon revisiting the series. How about that? That's what I want to call it. And um, I, I just want to say, you know, spoilers, obviously too. What's up, R King? Um. I've seen all 86 episodes. I don't think they have. Is, is, are there 86 Sopranos episodes? I think it's like 60-something Sopranos episodes. Maybe not. Maybe the, the other seasons are longer. The first, the first season is 13 episodes. And the Sopranos started in 2000. Sorry, started in 1999. And uh, interesting time for the Sopranos to begin because... You know, it kind of like this is what I was talking about last time before we had a uh, uh, we had technical difficulties. The Sopranos is like it's like a, you know, a, a real benchmark a milestone for the TV format and like really showed us what television could be in the sense of serialized dramatic TV, like serialized dramatic tv did exist before the sopranos um i mean you had shows like you know in the 90s and the 80s and really the 70s too you know for the most part like 
you had sitcoms kind of ruling the roost. And what would happen is, you know, the status quo is always reset at the end of the sitcom, right? Nothing ever really changes. You have big overarching sort of, you know, things like, you know, like plot points and that you have that in Seinfeld, you have that in friends, you have that in Frasier, but mostly everything that just kind of like resets, you know, um, twin peaks is an example of, <clears throat> of appointment television. I mean, appointment television viewing probably goes back to the seventies. I would imagine uh, when I think of appointment television viewing, I think of like, of like a, of a uh, JR who uh, uh, Dallas Dallas who shot JR, you know, the Simpsons is, was appointment is appointment viewing. What do I mean when I said, yeah, our King says it's 86 episodes, LOL. And that sounds like it's said with great authority that I dare not challenge because what do I know? <laughs> so, Okay, if you say it's 86 episodes, it's 86 episodes, which means I'm about a quarter of the way through. I guess that tracks. I guess that tracks. I can think I can I think I can do a Tony Soprano. No, that's not it. Come. I got there's a Tony Soprano in me. I don't know. I was kind of doing it earlier when I was at work in the bathroom. <laughs> I was taking a piss. I'm I'm like trying to sound like I'm trying to sound like Tony. No, that's not it. I swear. I swear I got it. I can't, I'm, I'm trying too hard. I really, deep inside of me, there is a Tony Soprano. I, I have it. I have it. I just got to give myself, give myself, I can't think about it. I'm thinking about it too much and it's, I'm too self-conscious. But like I said, it's, it's a point, you know, it's appointment viewing in the same way that like the Simpsons was an appointment viewing. And, and I think of Twin Peaks when I think of appointment viewing, you know, Twin Peaks is this weird sort of like um, ex early example in 90, 1990, where you have this like hour long mystery. It's like a mystery slash, you know, procedural. It's not though like that. That's like, there's no way to really describe what Twin Peaks is. But it was an hour long. It was dramatized. It was quite surreal, in fact. And it was um, it was appointment viewing. It was something that you had to show up for. And it's something that you talk about with everybody at the water cooler. And that was our TV viewing culture for many years. And we are now in an age where that is dying out. Like the idea of people standing around the water cooler, like it still exists and whatnot. But like the idea of like, I think like Game of Thrones was really like that. That was like the last true time of like, did you see the episode on Sunday? Where like you don't even have to call it Game of Thrones. You just start talking about the thing. What did you think of what happened in Winterfell? And everybody knows what you're talking about. That's the type of that's the type of thing. You know what I mean? Um, and we're kind of out of that now in the age of like binge watching of seasons you don't get that same vibe as like that thing you're looking forward to on Sundays to unwind. And I really feel like the modern version of that started. I say modern version because it existed beforehand. That started with the Sopranos. And obviously it was perfected in a way by Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad, I think and you have the shield as well. The shield was another early one. I guess you could say Sons of Anarchy is like the Sopranos with motorcycles and Hamlet all lashed in together, you know, um, like these are the, these are all like early, you know, appointment viewing serialized dramatic. And, you know, outside, like you think about like, um, think about something like, for instance, Dragon Ball Z weird, weird, uh, weird observation to make 
Dragon Ball Z was a serialized show that never sort of reset itself. The plot was moved forward with each and every episode. And that was just, it was like, you, you are taking in a really, really long story. And I feel like the Sopranos, that's like the modern version of that. And, you know, other stuff started to come along too. You had like lost tons of stuff, tons of stuff. But like, you know, think about like the other stuff that exists, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I never watched. I was never into, but Buffy was a show that kind of also reset itself. Maybe not later on, but like in early Buffy, that was a show where, you know, they had the, the, the name Big Bad, a Big Bad, the books, the Big Bad Monster of the Week. Look at the X-Files. The X-Files was something that also reset itself all the time. Like by the end of an episode, you know, it would just be the monster of the week. You had monster of the week episodes and then you had Mulder trying to find out the truth about alien episodes. And like, you know, it was kind of oh, Battlestar Galactica. There, there is another one. Um, Battlestar Galactica is a continuing dramatized series and it's a sci-fi one at that. Um, but the big ones, the really big ones, you have the Sopranos and you have, of course, uh, Breaking Bad. I mean, Breaking Bad. And then, of course, you know, after that, I mean, I could just go on and on. We really could go on and on about it. There's there's many to there's many to notate. You can't just you can't just limit it to these few. But the heavy hitters, man, <clears throat> the ones that people say, what is the best series of all time? A lot of people will say that The Sopranos is the greatest television show of all time. And I have to, like, obviously get to the end. But I'm still going to say that it's I'm still going to say that it's Breaking Bad. I think Breaking Bad will go down as the greatest like dramatized television series of all time. It is the GOAT. It is the GOAT. It's the GOAT for a reason. However, um, re-watching The Sopranos, and the first time I watched it, I kind of was like, yeah, okay, you know, it's good. Yeah, it's as good as everybody says, but like it was nothing, it's nothing like special. But like, you know, the funny thing about The Sopranos is it's also it's super mainstream and it has at the same time, it has such a diehard cult following. You know, it's a highly quotable show. Um, there's all this. And then, you know, what is what are we seeing? Like, what is it doing? Sopranos is about Sopranos is about Tony Soprano and his family and his extended family at that, you know, the, the crime family. But the family that he that Tony Soprano works for, he doesn't work for the Sopranos. You know, he worked for something called the DeMio crime family and the guy, the big boss, he's a lifer in jail and the acting boss is a guy named Jackie April and he's sick. He gets cancer and he, um, he dies. And when he dies, there's a power vacuum and the power vacuum leaves, uh, Tony kind of butting heads with his uncle, uncle junior and Tony, who has been suffering these panic attacks, like the whole, I guess the whole premise of the show is really like what what happens when a you know a, a cold-blooded mafioso killer guy whatever you know mafia guy um does something as progressive as go to therapy and you know typically when you think of these 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 guys that they, they are old school or they follow old school traditions and the idea of being a somehow being a mobster who also is somehow trying to improve themselves through therapy and maybe even being a better mobster as a result. Mobster is that made guy, made guys, made guys. Somehow being a better made guy for it is like a weird, it's weird, man. It's like a weird sort of thing. You know, it's like if the, like 
the godfather is like you know sort of the godfather is the whatever like the gold standard of like what you know the mafia is in media i guess and then something like goodfellas comes along and like really sort of deconstructs it in a um much more how do i say this blue collar sort of way you know and really connecting it to new york new jersey connecting it to the tri-state area of like when we think about the mafia you know and and the other thing too is it's not it's taking place it's a it's not taking place in the 30s and 40s like the godfather is it's taking place you know in a more in a in a well it's not contemporary but in a uh within the last 20 years of when the godfather or what when goodfellas came out goodfellas came out in 90 and and it covers a time span of like whatever like the mid 50s through uh the 80s so like a 20 year t- recent more contemporary time span and that way it's sort of deconstructing what it means to be a good fella you know a, a wise guy at a, maybe a lower level not at the boss level like we're really in good fellas and good this is going to this is going to materialize into the sopranos because ultimately it, it is it, the Goodfellas walked so that the Sopranos could run in that. Um, uh, what's her face? Uh, Lorraine Bra- Bracco. Is that how you say her name? She she plays Karen, uh, Jewish. <laughs> she plays a you know a nice Jewish girl that um that Henry Hill marries in in Goodfellas. And originally it was it was supposed to be Ray Liotta who's going to play Tony Soprano, and he passed on the role, and that's how James Gandolfini came came into it. You know, I mean, can't think of anybody else as 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 friggin' Tony Soprano except for James Gandolfini. It's it's perfect. It's perfect casting, role of a lifetime, uh, monumental, m- monumental. Like, what else is there to say about that in that kind of way? Um, but the idea that, like, okay, so it's deconstructing. Goodfellas is deconstructing that on like a blue collar like level, and then. And then Sopranos is like launching it into the 20th, 21st century, right? Like this idea of like, you know, after the 80s, like all the big, and they they make fun of this early on in the first season. I think it's even in the second episode. You know, I was going to try and take notes for this thing. And I was like, I can't. There's just so much going on. The better thing to do is pop open Wikipedia and then just kind of like try to like remember uh, what happens in each episode and like just say a little something about each episode and, and move move on uh, so hopefully uh, that that will make sense and be more concise as we go through but um so we'll go episode by episode in a minute and like i said it's not going to be it can't be beat for beat because it would just be we'd be here all night and i can't i can't do that what's up cwb crazy white boys in the house um I missed the Sopranos. I was living in Jersey at that time. What an exciting time. Yeah, I mean, and like now some of those places are like landmarks, like Satin Dolls is in Lodi, New Jersey. And that was, you know, I mean, a lot, a lot of landmarks. Anybody lives in Bergen County, like, uh, you know, will tell you, like could tell you all about, you know, the, the places that they shot and this, that, and the other. In any case, um, like I said, you have this acting boss, you have uncle junior. He is, he is vying for control after Jackie dies. The, the, the acting boss, 
uh, Uncle Junior, who kind of butts heads with his nephew, Tony Soprano, over who gets to be um, who gets to be promoted from capo to boss of bosses. Right. Uh, and Tony ultimately lets him. He, he he allows that to happen so that he can kind of call the shots while while, um, you know, uh, he can have the title. Uh, uh, Junior can have the title. And also potentially take any heat. All the heat gets pushed onto him. It all it works out. It works out for everybody. Uh, but the 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 first the pilot episode is called The Sopranos, and um, you know Tony, who is a capo, he has panic attacks, and that's when he starts to seek out psychiatric help from Doctor Melfi, and you know he's you know. He's also dealing with his mom who, you know, I forgot, like, I remember even before I started watching the show, like maybe like my parents talking about it casually, like how evil, evil is not the right word. You could literally do a whole like deep dive psychological profile on Livia alone. And like, what is going on? Her uh, toxic, manipulative, um, narcissistic behavior she's she is uh she is really a a piece of work and so tony deals with with her uh you know on a constant level he's having this panic attack when he sees a family of ducks and we you know we get this whole metaphor about how like the ducks are god we're gonna be here all friggin' day if i do it like this this is not gonna work basically tony is see he's seeking help for for uh panic attacks now, this is, you know, in the world of, of you know, part of the code of being one of these guys about being a made guy is like, you know, um, you, you can't see a therapist. It's like a kiss of death. Tony, Tony's treating seeing a therapist like a kiss of death because he knows that if any of his crew find out, they, they, they could whack him for that. And the reason why is because he's confiding uh, essentially, you know, it's, he's not being a rat per se. But like it's kind of like on some level of ratting on some level, you know what I mean? Um, she, you know, it just it it's not good for business to be seeing a therapist, and uh, of course this kind of pays itself off in the in the in the season finale, and um, we also meet Artie Buco, who is one of my favorite characters. I love fucking love Artie so much and he's not a made guy but he grew up with these guys and he has a restaurant and uh tony ends up burning it down because uh junior wants to use it to uh whack a guy and he's afraid that it will ruin tony's afraid it will ruin art Artie's business and that those those eggs come to roost those hens come to roost whatever that phrase is later on uh, towards the end of the series when or end of the season when Artie confronts Tony and Tony just lies through his teeth. I mean, just doubles down on his lie. Uh, you got Polly Walnuts. There is uh, Silvio Dante, my favorite, played by Little Steven. I mean, he is just, he's so, he, he I mean, he's so awesome. And you know what's funny? Like, his acting is both like super over the top and hammy. And yet at the same time, it's like, you can like hear, it's almost like you can, you can, you can imagine little Steven's um, thought process. I got to meet him once 
in a drugstore and I shook his hand. I just said, thank you for, I mean, you, you're awesome. Uh, but you know, we talk, so this is this is this is this is me being a gangster, you know. Like that's like what Silvio, that's that's little Stephen as Silvio. I almost imagine like here's a guy who, who's not traditionally an actor getting cast in this role, and he's like, well, I gotta think like a gangster. So how do I do? He's always talks like this, and he's like this, you know. He's almost like a caricature of. He loves quoting The Godfather Part Three. He's almost a caricature of The Godfather Part Three. By the way, they're watching. They're watching that stuff. They're watching like news shows and like it's talking about like how the uh, uh, mob doesn't exist anymore. And that let me get back to that for a second. You know the idea of what out they call it our thing. This thing of ours. This thing of ours. That's what you call it. The La Costa Nostra or whatever. Um, that it doesn't really on a on a mainstream level. It does not really exist anymore. That it ends with when people like Gotti go to prison and Rico, you know, Rico happens and now, and that's the way they want it. That's the way these, these, these guys, you know, Soprano and, and Polly Walnuts and just the whole, all of them, they all like that big pussy. They like that. They do not want to be, they, they don't want, they, they don't care. They don't looking for the prestige. They just want to earn, right. They just want to do, they're things they have a variety of different businesses and everybody's got to kick up to everybody. And it's just interesting, man. And then you got the wives. It's just this whole subculture, right? In the same way that that Sons of Anarchy kind of takes a look at this uh, West Coast biker outlaw subculture. And obviously there are there are, um, you know, what's it called? Uh, uh, they they take. Uh, oh, my God. Why is it slipping my mind? Well, uh, they're taking. What is it? What is it called when you when you exaggerate something? They're taking the uh, oh my god! This is like really bothered me. They are taking liberties. They take great liberties in the Sopranos, I'm sure, and they take great liberties in Sons of Anarchy. That's just what they do, whatever. But you know, these guys like they have this they have this life in this culture, and like you know they have wives, but then they also have these gumas, and a guma is your girlfriend. Uh, that you do all the nasty shit that you wouldn't do with the mother of your children. That's how they kind of look at it. And the, the wives know what what's going on. And, you know, they like the lifestyle that's afforded to them by their husband's, you know, stuff, you know, their, their, their means of earning this, that, and the other. So what's going on in the season, uh, low level guy, uh, Chris Maltisanti's friend gets whacked. There's just a lot of infighting. It's a, uh, there's a lot of warring between Uncle Junior's crew and Tony's crew and the butting of heads. And then meanwhile, you have um, you have Tony's mom really pissed off that she's in this nursing home and she starts manipulating Junior into uh, convincing him that because Tony is seeing a therapist that he should be whacked and they try to whack Tony. They're not successful. And uh, Junior, he ends up going to jail uh he, he gets locked up all Tony wax, all of his guys, you know, uh, he finds out the truth about his mother because of a wiretap situation. They were, they were recording the, the, the nursing home. Then there's this whole rat situation. They find out one of the capos is a rat. They think big pussy. He disappears and they assume that he's a rat. We're not sure. He claims his back is hurting him. 
he's going on and on about his back. So there's this whole thing and it's great. It's, it, it's a lot of sort of like, what is he a rat? Is he not a rat? And then it turns out this guy, Jimmy is a rat. That's a red herring to throw us off because spoilers, as it turns out, and we won't find this out until season two, big pussy is a rat. And I, I remember when big pussy got whacked. I don't, well, we'll save that. But like, I just remember even as someone who didn't watch that show at the time, that was a huge deal. Everybody talked about when, when, uh, when big pussy got, uh, gets whacked. Like that was a huge moment. And that's what I'm talking about. Like when you have like a prestige show like this, like a drama show that everybody's watching it, these watershed moments, they become, sort of like cultural milestones that everybody knows about, you know, that kind of thing in the same way that everybody knows that, that Darth Vader is the father of Luke Skywalker. You know, everybody knows that big pussy is a rat and he gets whacked. Now, I mean, not everybody, but it's, you know, well known. He's Tony's best childhood friend. And it, the, the truth of the matter is it's a sticky situation. That's the reality. It's a sticky, sticky situation. You know what else is a sticky situation? Riot mother effing stickers are a sticky situation Yes, Riot Stickers, that is the sponsor of the Frumis channel. You know the deal. Get a 1,000 stickers for $79. That's $0.07 cents per sticker. These stickers are printed on vinyl. They got a UV coating. You get three inches by three inches. You, the, not these ones particularly, but you get them for three inches by three inches in the deal. You're not going to find a better deal than that. The link is directly into the description. It's the only place that you're going to get this deal. $0.07 cents a sticker, okay? It's like, it's insane. And uh, the quality is great. The stickers hold up. Those stickers, they'll stick outdoors. They're probably rated for about five years. Indoors, perpetually forever. So what do you have to lose? Ridestickers.com backslash from us, F-R-U-M-E-S-S. Link down in the description. Make sure you take advantage of this deal. Let's play our, our, our quick Less Than Jake 60-second theme song, and we will return with The Sopranos in a moment. Yeah, baby, ridestickers.com. You know it's true, ridestickers.com. Yeah, baby. Hey, yeah, baby. So where were we? Um, yeah, you know, there's there's infighting. You know, uh, Tony, he's taking, you know, Xanax and Prozac and all these things. He's he, he's fights depression. Um, we meet Christopher Maltesanti, who becomes such a big character, he's such a big part of the show, uh, brilliant, brilliantly played by uh, Michael Imperioli, who has a podcast with uh, Bobby, what's his name, Bobby Bucco? God, what the hell is his last name? Bobby, who, who's, he minds, he doesn't come till season two, but he, he minds Junior, Uncle June, Uncle June, Uncle, Uncle June, there it is, wait, wait, 
you know, the thing about Tony Soprano. No, hold on, hold on. The thing about Tony Soprano is like you gotta, you gotta. It's kind of like this, but not like this. Like a little deeper, like Uncle June. Uncle June. I mean, what do you mean? Oh yeah, I'm gonna hear it. <coughs> I'm almost there. I almost got it. Give me, give me a little more time. I'll get that. I'll get that Tony Soprano. I, 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 I start. <clears throat> I can't do it. I can't do it right now. We meet his family, Meadow and AJ. Meadow. So I went to. I went to school with Meadows' cousin. I grew up with her, Jackie Sigler. Jackie Sigler. Shout out to Jackie, whose cousin is Jamie Lynn. And that was always like a fact growing up. You know, we were in middle school when The Sopranos came out. When this season aired, I was in middle school. And uh, it was always like, oh, yeah, Jackie's cousin. She's on The Sopranos. That's so cool. You know, that sort of thing. Shout out, Jackie. Jackie Sigler. Um, no, Meadow is, Meadow is great. You know, Meadow, she's like, she's figuring out the kids are just figuring out. So in this first season, and here's the other thing about the first season, the first season is the show is just like many shows is figuring out what, like who and what it is, right? Like the show doesn't exactly know where it's going. It's more like, it's more like a show about like, Hey, look at this wacky mobster and his like modern life and his modern problems. And this, that, and the other. He's got deal with his mom and wanting to put her in a nursing home. And he's dealing with depression and anxiety, you know. Um, and yet at the same time, showing us these like little slices of like mob life and mob code, you know, what it means to be a rat. And, you know, in, in I guess in mob culture, there is nothing lower. Well, let's <laughs> just say Uncle June, like Uncle June whistling in Tuna Town is. I guess another, I mean, that's, that's more funny to the guys than actually like, like, you know, bad, but it's like an embarrassing thing. If you, uh, if you whistle in tuna town and um, that makes uncle June very upset and mo helps him motivate him. It motivates him to want to whack, whack Tony. But you know, the, the main motivation that they use is like that. Tony, Tony is seeing a, a therapist who has to go on the lamb. She has to go on the lamb and he starts to develop feelings for her. And he tries to like make out with her and stuff. And she's not having it. And you know, the weird thing is there's, he crosses so many boundaries with her. And yet she, she's queer. She's clearly like, she's sort of like, she's, it, he interests her He's a, he's a she finds him fascinating and she has this like genuine she sees underneath his veneer and like has this genuine desire to like kind of either want to help him or just wants to be like around him and near him that sort of thing. Uh, I, I guess the standout episode is and it's talked about and it's been nominated and stuff the college episode which is episode five that's when the show really starts to like find its you know find its voice and it's a simple episode you know um tony uh is taking meadow on a, to, a tour for different colleges and tony spots um one a made guy who used to work as a, he was a soldier uh in in the demio family and he you know he, he became a rat and then he got into witness protection he got in trouble for selling heroin and he had to go to, he had to, you know, rat on, on, on people. He put people away for 12 years who rotted and died in prison. And Tony thinks he spotted him. And I mean, this episode alone, it's only an hour long, but man, you could have made a movie just about like, don't change a thing. Just make it like 
maybe like i mean it doesn't know it's exactly it's the perfect length i'm just thinking like if it was a feature length it would have to be about a half hour longer so maybe you take in the first half hour you kind of establish you kind of establish like tony and like the whole deal in the first half hour and then college the episode college episode five that hour is the last hour of the movie so it's like a 90 minute movie 30 minutes kind of you know introduces you into things and you could do all that stuff that happened in episode one through four and then bring it right into five and that that would be a uh, a killer movie i mean it's like it's just it's really good cat and mouse um and it shows us tony you know tony strangles this guy with his bare hands pretty much he uses like a, a rope or something he, he he strangles him and i had to look up i looked up i was like because i was curious i was like you know i was thinking about it and i was you know we see this dramatized so often in movies you know putting you know people getting strangled to death and stuff and i have to tell you i was reading about like strangulation like after this like i was like legitimately curious to know like how long does it take and you know why you know the just the the nature of it because it seems like really not that invasive and yet at the same time it's one of the most brutal violent horrible ways to like hurt someone at the end of the day like because what you're doing what you're essentially trying to do with your hands or with something you are trying to cut off circulation of oxygen flow to the brain now, if you have like a rope or a wire or something, I, it's easier to do because you're you have this tool that's kind of like a lever. What's well, not a lever, but you know what I mean. Like you're using leverage with a with an object to create this blockage of oxygen to the brain. If you are just using your hands, that is a whole other level of brutality. Because even if you do pass someone out, you know, even if you do manage to cut off their airflow and they go they go unconscious it's reversible meaning they might they might go who's michael hutchins don't go do a michael hutchins on us i don't know what you mean by that and yes but with sopranos versus breaking bad breaking bad all the way sorry as of right now that's how i feel um but you know if you're using your hands to do that like that's a reversible thing Meaning that you need to keep apply the same amount of pressure and the same sort of strength and the the brain, the brain can't receive oxygen for, you know, how, how long the brain needs to not receive oxygen before brain damage and brain death occur. You know what I mean? It's a brutal, like, it's a brutal process. I mean, a lot of, you know, dis ways of dismatchment are obviously brutal. There's something extra brutal about that. And the fact that we see Tony doing a variation of strangulation in that kind of way, like really solidifies what the show is, who Tony is, because up to this point, Tony is a very likable kind of, you know, mob guy. And, you know, we see him hit someone with a car, but like we see him commit this cold blooded murder in college while he's with hanging out with his daughter. And they have this whole back and forth thing about trust. She admits that she took uh, speed and Tony is like at first angry, but then he's like grateful. And he's like, you know, he's like, I should knock you around for saying for telling me that <coughs> really hurts my voice to try and do Tony Soprano.
in the end, Tony does not reciprocate with Meadow. And he, you know, when she is asked, this is when she confronts him for the first time. And she says, are you in the mob? And, you know, he kind of, you know, he minimizes it. That's what he does. He's minimize. He minimizes the whole kind of thing. And uh, because he doesn't want, you know, he, he, he realizes that she's getting too old to lie to her or to not to, to skirt the truth. And yet at the same time, he wants to like minimize it. And then getting back to Christopher for a minute. So Christopher is a distant cousin of, of Carm, Carm, uh, Carmela, uh, Soprano, Tony's wife. And uh, he's also, uh, he's not a made man yet. He eventually will become a made man. He he's, I don't know what you call him. What do you call a guy? They don't really, they haven't really explained the process. He's like a prospect. If I'm thinking about sons of anarchy, he's like a prospect. He's waiting to, for them to op- what what's known as opening the books. When you open the books and you get, when you get in the book, the name I get was that your name is written in the book. You open the book. It's opening membership to you to become a made man. And the, like, as we know from, from Goodfellas made men are untouchable. If you fuck with one guy, you fuck with all of them. It's like this, it's like this bonification. <laughs> I said, it's a bonification. I'm sorry to say it's like a bonafide way of being that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, our King says, our King says associates. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, Chrissy is a great character. Chris, Chris Maltesanti. And he wants to be a screenwriter and we meet his girlfriend, Adriana, who, I mean, these two throughout the whole show, they're such a big part of the show. And, oh my God, I'm thinking about like how, you know what? The one thing that watching the first season, like all I could think about is how they both spoilers on a almost 20 year old show. They both die in season six. So it's amazing. Like every scene with Tony is like super weird to me. Cause I'm like, eventually he's going to kill you and there's a moment in season two a watershed moment the the one with the screenwriting one where with elisa wet which was really steamy um where he has this like choice of like do i want to be in tony's life or do i want to you know go my own way and if he had gone his own way he might still be alive today maybe 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 not because the the h might have gotten to him who knows but we learned that in this episode, in in the season one, we learned to, uh, uh, he's he's an associate. He wants to he wants to be put in the books, made in the books, and uh, he's also a screenwriter. And he knows that he can't really be a screenwriter because you know it's frowned upon for mob guys to sort of do this thing of like you know become like uh, screenwriting experts. Sorry, my mustache is itching my nostrils. <laughs> And that is why I keep touching my nose. It's really weird. I feel very uncomfortable doing it, but uh, that's why I'm, I am explaining it. Um, we see we see Christopher uh, murder, I think, even before Tony does. I mean, this guy, we, so we learn that Chris is not a good guy. He's a cold-blooded killer. Um, but he's like so weird because like one moment he can be so tender and sensitive and caring and then the next moment, not so much at all. Whereas like Tony, Tony doesn't have that same sort of, you know, um, way about him. Um, Dan says Richie getting shot was so satisfying. Um, Dan says Polly Walnuts was my favorite character. He wasn't. I love Polly Walnuts and Polly just Polly's like a fine wine as the seasons keep going. He just gets better and better. 
Uh, Milton, thank you for your support. Milton Boo, shout out to Milton Boo for the support. Much appreciated. Uh, yeah, Polly Wants is great. I'm just trying to like give a great. Okay, so Adriana, she is the niece of Jackie April, which is not really explained, I think, that well in the first season. We learned that more in the second season. And um, there's this whole thing where they're like, she's trying to become like a music manager with Chris. And we meet Hesh, who is my people. Hesh is a Jew. He's like the concili. What is it? The conciliarge, the consular. He's James can from the Godfather. He is the, you know, he is the token Jew who uh, he's a mob associate. He's not like in, in, I don't think he's a, not a made guy. He was to- Tony's father's very good friend and confidant and grew up with Tony. So he, he's like, he's counsel. He's basically Tony's counsel and he's a great character. I love Hesh and I, yeah, I just love his, I love his, his New Jersey Jewishness. It's, it's great. And you know, the funny thing about a Jew like Hesh and these, you know, these Italian guys is that like, there is, and I, you know, I've said this before on the show, and it's just so true. Like amongst, you know, New York Ashkenazi Jews, the the, the family dynamic, just a lot of the idiosyncrasies, like they're not, they're not, they are, they are like the first cousin of Italians. You know what I mean? We're we're both, you know, Jews and Italians, two uh, populations are Ashkenazi Jews uh, that are like both like like white but also kind of other like you know like especially if you know i I don't know i don't want to specify you know sicilian over like you know southern italian or whatever but like just this idea that that you're like the other white you know what i mean you're not the like like in in a in a room full of white people you are going to be shat on for being italian or being jewish that sort of thing so it's like there are these there are these overlapping parallels between the two so this idea of like hesh being you know and and the you know the the, the thing with the hasidics does not the, the 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 story with the hasidics does not um uh escape me um, but I to differentiate those are like, you know, Hasidic Jews are very different from other Jews and, you know, Hasidic, especially a Jew like, you know, myself or other, you know, sort of neurotic, secular Ashkenazi, New York Jews, Hasidic Jews are like, you know, a, a certain form of Orthodox fundamentalist. In fact, they are you know, Hasidic Jews are the closest thing. The way to think about them is that they're like the Amish. We all know as soon as I say Amish, it, it becomes clear as day. Oh yeah, Amish. So Hasidic Jews are kind of like Amish, except they don't they they go without electricity on Shabbat night. They're Shomer Shabbos, whereas you know um, Amish people, you know, always don't have electricity except for their on their headlights on their dune buggies, that sort of thing. And um, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Robert De Niro plays uh, plays a Jew in Casino, and he it, it's oh god, that's such a great performance. That was back in the day where an Italian could play a Jew, and it, you could probably wouldn't get in trouble. But if that if, if that happened today, there'd be somebody lamenting and and being upset about it. Uh, but that portrayal was was great. Uh, Roth, he plays Roth. Um, he's great. He's so great. In any case, they have this whole thing business. There's one episode of this whole business with the 
Hasidic Jews and you hear Hesh, Hesh is like, you know, even warns them as another Jew. He's like, don't get involved with these people. <laughs> it's like, don't get involved with these people. And he's right. He's right. Um, but I love Hesh. And he has this whole thing. He's in the music business. And there's this whole like subplot with some gangster rappers over royalties with black artists. It's actually a really interesting episode. And, you know, Adriana, she's trying to be a music manager for this band that just sucks. I mean, they're just a terrible band. Um, there is a raid at the end of the season right and the raid uh sort of kicks things into gear we we find out that um you know pussy gets oh there's a ra- they're 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 waiting for sorry i'm trying to remember what happens after the whole cunnilingus episode oh we got to talk about that too the boca episode so junior junior's girlfriend basically gossips and and reveals that junior likes to you know whistle in the cave you know what i mean he likes to go downtown and junior warns her over and over again please do not this cannot get out i could you know it's it's you know i can get in a lot of trouble or whatever it, it, it embarrassed me like this whole thing he's really just trying to save face in front of those guys because again, another thing in this culture is like you know, I guess these guys they don't they don't they do not reciprocate. They they can receive, but they do not give. And eventually, um, Tony finds out he makes fun of Junior, and that intensifies the the wanting to hit Tony, right? And uh, <laughs> right, yes, Dan, your songs have no choruses. Exactly, exactly, exactly. It was so good. So freaking! I love that scene with Hesh and Christopher, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, I know talent when I see talent. I remember Jimmy Hendrix. Um, so sorry, sorry, losing. Oh, and there's a great episode. It's like a the neighbor who kind of like exploits Tony. Like they love that he's a mob guy, and they're warming up to him but they're really just sort of like using him and tony ends up getting humiliated because they you know they're asking him all these dumb questions and so you know tony ends up like getting revenge he pranks he pranks him he leaves him a package any case there's indictments happen and the f there are fbi raids pussy gets caught but he gets released super quickly and everybody starts suspecting that pussy uh is an informant because there's a cop, a crooked cop, a, a gambling degenerate cop, great character played by, um, you know, he's the dad in Home Alone and he's also in Chud. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name, John something. He, he's passed. He's passed away. But in the show, he's just a degenerate gambler. He's also a cop who also hangs out at a, a whore house, a, a cat house, whatever you want to call it. And he's the one who lets Tony know that pussy is, is wearing a wire. And again, like going back to the whole thing about being a rat, like there are, there is nothing worse than to be a rat. It's the ultimate betrayal on so many different levels. Culturally, it's the lowest of the lowest of the low in their society. And it's an instant death sentence, you know, and that's eventually what happens to this guy, Jimmy, who they think is actually, the rat and he might have been maybe he's the rat but he basically takes the focus off of pussy uh they still don't trust pussy but they let him hang around right they they don't know if pussy is compromised of course we find out that he is compromised uh there's an episode where tony meets this absolutely breathtaking beautiful italian exchange student 
who happens to be a, a figment of his imagination, but just breathtaking, absolutely just wonderful. It's also around this time that uh, Artie Bucco, going back to Bucco, we fi Bucco finds out that what Tony did once again through Tony's mom. So Tony's mom, this whole time, like every chance she gets, she's just like pulling strings. She, um, she, she's trying to like, she's just trying to do anything that she can to like get back at Tony. And you know, what's amazing is the show never lets us know what the deal is. Like there's never a moment where you're like, is she actually like out there or does she, you know, is this really like accidental or is she trying to play like some 4D chess on Tony? I personally think she's trying to play some 4D chess on Tony. Tony, she is, she is so manipulative and she's so, um, she, she's trying, she, and she, she straight up insinuates to junior, uh, Tony should be whacked. That's what she says. Um, so that, you know, that whole thing, that whole thing happens. And, uh, hold on. I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to remember what happens next. Yeah. The whole thing about your father was a saint over and over again, missing Johnny, her dear Johnny, this, that, and the other. So eventually, eventually they, they, you know, Melfi suggests that Livia might have borderline personality disorder and, um, Tony, Tony tells her that she needs to go into hiding because junior tried to hit him. And, um, you know, he, he then does the only thing that he can. And he goes and tells his boys, Hey, I've been seeing a therapist. I, I don't want you to do this from anywhere else. I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't talk about business. I'm not specific. And this is what I do. And that's when we find out from Polly Walnuts that he also was seeing a therapist over some issues. He doesn't want to get into it. And uh, basically everybody's accepting of the fact that Tony sees a therapist and that, which is, I guess at the end of the day, those are the guys, that's the most important thing, right? That everybody is sort of, um, you know, together. There's also this thing that's going on with this priest, Carmela, she gets her own arc. There's a priest who, who really just like, you know, um, he likes seducing married wives. He's a mooch. They, she calls him a schnur, which is actually a, a sort of a Yiddish thing, which is like, it just, it's a Jewish way. It's a Jewish vernacular for saying a mooch, you know, this guy just comes around and he's, you know, renting DVDs and eating, you know, eating like Italian cooking. And then like, he's basically edging, he's edging with the wives. Like he's just coming so close to like seducing them. And then he doesn't do it. And it's part of his MO and Carmela gets upset. And there's this, there's this whole, you know, during that college episode is when like things really heat up with the guy, with the, with the priest. And she gets down on her knees. Like she's about to, you know, uh, blow them. It's, it's really, it's a, it's such a good episode, man. But that all comes to a head when she basically calls him on his bullshit. And it's just such a great, she just, she just takes him apart and it's just great. And I like, I, I love Carmela. She's like such a, she's such a strong woman. And yet at the same time, so compartmentalized as like a mob wife. I don't know. She's just a mixture of all this 
stuff. Just imagine if Saul Goodman was a character on The Sopranos. He absolutely could have been. He absolutely could have bridged that world very easily, and he would have been awesome doing so. It would have been great. I would have loved that. Um, so the episode ends, you know, you know, the series at the season ends, junior gets locked up. Uh, Tony wax all of his crew and takes over his business and they, you know, they end up going to Artie's new rebuilt version of, of his restaurant. And, you know, they just have a nice, they just have a nice dinner in the, in the, uh, by candlelight, everything is, Status quo is returned. Tony is now the acting boss. He he's running the show, and things are are slowly getting you know set up and established for next season. And it's great, man. Even just the 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 antagonistic uh, relationship that he has with his mother is enough to drive the show. So when you have all this other stuff happening during the season, it's really great. I also neglected to mention AJ. He finds out that his dad is, you know, in the mob as well. So the kids find out the truth about their parents. Tony realizes that he needs to like have, you know, that he needs therapy in order to help himself. Although that kind of goes away at the end of the, the, the season. Um, Dan says at one point, the priest and Karma watching Goodfellas in which, Christopher and Polly were in always like that. Yeah. There's a scene where Christopher shoots a, a guy when he's getting like cannolis or donuts or something, he shoots him in the foot and it mirrors what happened to his character in Goodfellas. Spider gets shot in the foot. Oh, interesting note from our King. Our King has some knowledge, but all you guys do Dan, all Michael, you guys are great with this. Um, our King says that the first season was originally written to be a, a full-length feature film and it feels that way it definitely feels that way like you could see this as a feature-length film totally and a really good editor a really 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 good editor could take 13 hours of the first season and probably cut it into a really good two and a half hour movie you know if you like kind of pull out pull out a lot of the you know the trim all the fat off it'd be kind of interesting to see uh, and that's where we're going to leave it, everybody. Um, I'm knee deep in season two. So much that I had forgotten about season two. And man, I, I, the show is really coming into its own. So we'll we'll talk about that next time. I hope you enjoyed this. Um, until then, uh, peace and hair grease. Peace and hair grease. And we will see you real soon. Woke up this morning. I got some gabagoo. Oh, this is actually one last thing. Dan says, <coughs> on a good fella's note, I bought a painting by Henry Hill a few years ago. That kind of cool. That's really cool. Henry Hill is a piece of work. A lot to say about that. Remind me to talk more about that next time. Some interesting things. Tell me, was it a painting of a boat with two dogs facing the opposite? What's the best movie? Uh, Godfather, Goodfellas, or Bronx Story? Hands down, my opinion, the greatest mob movie ever made was Goodfellas. I know that's like heresy to say when when considering things like The Godfather, but like, fuck, dude. Goodfellas is the goat. Goodfellas is the goat. And I'll tell you, Casino is right up there, man. I love it. I love, I love Casino. Thank you. I'm glad you like the show, Crazy White Boy. 
you know, I, I really think my channel would be bigger if I just stuck to like one topic, but I just love talking about so many different things. And I feel like we've built our, you know, we've sort of built the community audience, people who watch this, they know that that's what they're getting. And yeah, so well, we'll do. It's a line from the movie. Peace, man. Yes. Yes. All right. Peace. Hair grease. All right. I'm leaving. I'm really leaving this time. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll see you real soon with, with season two.